Breaking the Glass, Episode 9. You know, I have a lot of subcontractors. Most of them are white uh, subcontractors. And, you know, down here, we all, you know, white people have diversity of thought. So there's a guy that I had a decent relationship with uh, who, you know, came over to pick up a check. I saw his, I, you know, I walked him out to his truck. I saw, I saw his truck. He had a little sign on his truck. Sounds like yeah. a Confederate or something like that. Yeah. So I said, like, hey, what's that sign all about back there? And he said, uh, oh, no, 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 no. You know, that's 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 just heritage. That's right. heritage. And I, you know, and, and he have every he has every right to do that. But I did ask him about it, and and I said, oh, I said, uh, you say, yeah, I understand. I said, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that they lost. <laughs> and, 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 and he was like, he was like, oh no, you're talking about slavery. He's like, no, the war wasn't over slavery. Uh oh. I'm thinking, dude, what are you talking about? I, I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a student of the Civil War. I mean, I've been to Gettysburg. I've read several books. Hey, I went to a military academy. What right. are you talking about? And then so we so we actually struck up a conversation about race relations and um you know I, I just told him like this i said yeah i i had to mention it because you're in my driveway working on my job site with that stick in your truck mm. and i didn't tell him to take it off i just said i wanted to make sure he knew what i thought about it mm. that next week i saw his truck at my job site and it was gone oh man yeah yeah and and, and you know we still have a good relationship but i, I think a lot of a, a lot of progress can be made by by interaction Welcome to the Breaking the Glass Show with TQ Sinkungu. Together we'll dig inside the success stories of people of color and share those stories to inspire you. Then we'll break down their path to show you what they did so you can learn from their wisdom and follow in their footsteps. Welcome to Episode 9. I want to thank you for the continued ratings and reviews on iTunes. Your ratings and reviews help me move up the rankings. That'll get me into the new and noteworthy section. I think if I get 50 reviews, I can make it there. If you want to leave a review, just search iTunes or in Google for TQ Breaking the Glass, and it should be the first link that comes up, and you'll see my podcast. This week on Breaking the Glass is a great conversation with Kelvin King. Kelvin came from humble beginnings, raised primarily by a single mother, but he was blessed that he could run fast and jump high. Those God-given abilities, plus an opportunity for a free education, led him to the Air Force Academy. After graduating from the Academy, he had an excellent career in the Air Force, where he won a number of awards. After his time in the Air Force, he went on to work at Siemens, where he was successful there, and followed on to be a top salesperson at Toll Grade as the regional sales manager. Then he leveraged the experience he gained as a contracts officer in the Air Force, where he was a buyer of construction services to be a seller of construction services at Centennial Contractors. While he was there, he used that experience to change the entire way that contracting was done for construction in the state of Texas based upon his experience. He worked with cities to change the way they did business and the way their offices were structured in order to take advantage of a new way that the government was doing contracting. That success led him to be manager of the year in 2011 and one of the top 50 employees in his company's international conglomerate, that's out of 65,000 employees he was recognized internationally. And you'll notice in the interview, this is where he starts to really get excited when he talks about his new baby, Osprey Management. He left a successful career at Centennial Contractors to take a calculated risk to go out on his own to start his own construction management company. They offer construction services, and he kicked off his experience and his business in his basement. 
He got to over $1 million in business by his third year working by himself in that very basement. He started hiring people and growing the business more and more to the point that by 2020, he's expected to do $20 million in revenue that year. He runs a lean, efficient, effective business. And at the same time, as a general contractor, he makes a concerted effort to give work and to promote and help the development of minority subcontractor business owners. In the interview, he's very open about how he's done business, what he has in terms of his books, the amount of money he's made, how he sets up the business. And that kind of detail is going to help you learn that if you're interested in this type of career field, you'll learn the nuts and bolts here. And as the economy is growing here in the States, more stuff needs to be built. I didn't even think about this. And I used to work in construction management at Clark Construction. He recognized there are going to have to be new homes built, roads, all sorts of buildings like the new one that Apple is building or that Amazon is building all across the country, playgrounds, all sorts of stuff to, to support the growth and expansion of our economy. And there is a shortage of businesses available to do it. He couldn't even use a drill when he got started. So if you don't know a lot about construction, you can be like him and learn the business and make your own thing a success. This is a great step-by-step episode. There are opportunities there if you want to work hard. And at the end of the interview, I was really happy to have a discussion with him about his more conservative views on how to achieve success and why even he registered to build that wall that's been talked about. Now, you may know if you're a listener of mine or, or know me at all that I'm a conservative end of the spectrum politically and, and socially. And Kelvin is even far to the right of me. But the point is, you can see really clearly that conservatives aren't the caricatures you sometimes see on TV news shows. And that we can share the mission to help people of color succeed, even if we have different paths to get there. So please enjoy my interview with Kelvin King. My guest today is Kelvin King. Kelvin, welcome to Breaking the Glass. Thanks, TQ. Excited to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to getting into it, but why don't we start off with uh, what I like to call lightning round background and tell us a little bit how about how you came up uh, from where you grew up and uh, how, what that experience was like growing up. Okay, sure. No problem. Um, I'm I'm a Georgia boy. I was born and raised here in Georgia, uh, I guess in, in the mid 70s in a smaller town in Macon and moved to Atlanta. And uh, my, my family, I have one sibling, a younger sister. And I bring that up because I, I was somewhat of a father figure eventually. Uh, my parents divorced when I was around 10 years old. And uh, I did a lot of the, 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 the keeping, babysitting of my younger sister growing up. And I did a lot of stuff around the house and that sort of thing. So I'm real close to my mom. And you know, going to school in Colorado was different because... I had only known the the Southeast. Did you guys, when you were growing up, what kind of life was it like? Were you guys, I, I like to say, were you middle class, high class, no class? What what uh, where were you guys at? Well, um, I, let me let, let me tell you this part. I was I was part of I, I was part of the uh, uh, you know the the various after school programs and such. And uh, at, at our church, we were involved in church and and. We didn't have a whole lot of money, uh, apartment living, uh, running around with kids in the neighborhood, walking to school, uh, picking picking fruit and, and blackberries and plums and such. So I wouldn't say I was I was middle class. I would say I was probably lower. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot, but we didn't 
go without either. And after the after the, the divorce, uh, we we moved to Atlanta, uh, and I guess I was eight years old, and um, you know it was pretty tight at at that point because we didn't get any support from my father, right? And my mom had to just make it and figure out how to do it, do it on her own. And I, I have lots of stories of us, you know, just making ends meet. What's a good one? What's a good story of making ends meet? Okay. <laughs> well, you know, this one I laugh a little bit about, and uh, my mom says that my recollection my recollection is not quite accurate, but I recall, you know, we our dryer had gone out and we didn't have money to fix it, and you know we were having to uh, uh, hang clothes, and the washer went out, no money to fix it, so we would go to the laundromat, and you know I I, I played football pretty much my whole life. And I remember my mom waking me up and saying, Hey, let's go to the laundromat. It was really late. I was really tired and I was complaining and kind of upset about it, but that's what we had to do. For you, like me, the Academy was a way to kind of make it from one to the next. Was sports part of that? Cause I know you play sports kind of, you said you play football. Was sports part of the decision to go there? Or what, what made you choose the Air Force Academy? Yeah. I mean, I guess I could run fast and jump high. I mean, that's what I tell people. That's how I got my Got my leg in the door, my foot in the door. But I, I've always made decent grades. But you know, sports is really what opened several doors for me. To be to be quite frank, uh, I was recruited by several schools, and uh, ended up sign. I signed with a, a local university, uh, Citadel, in high school. But um, I changed my mind about a week later after visiting the academy. And I decided to go to the academy. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been playing football since I was eight years old in Macon, Georgia. Hmm. And I played every year my my, my whole life. Through, so how through fast, school. though? Like, what was your 40 time? <laughs> I was clocked as a, at, at a 4-4-2. Okay. That was what the, uh, what the Patriots and the Panthers and a couple other pro teams clocked me at. Right. So, yeah, I, I was I was a good I was a good athlete. I see you slipped that Patriots and Panthers in there. So, yeah. Uh. <laughs> You had the big boys calling. What was life like at the academy, man? How did how did you so you came up from a place where your mom helped you get and you see it through, and then you went through school and ended up at the Air Force Academy? What um what was that experience like for you? Um, it it, it was different. You know, we we grew up in um and in, in in the South, and you know, I was used to a certain certain way of life, and uh, I, I I I was always involved with multiracial organizations, meaning, you know, when I, when I played football and such, it was always, you know, black and white, a, a mixture of uh, races and such. But, you know, my neighborhoods were always black. So coming home was, I was used to coming home to, to a, a certain socioeconomic uh, environment, but at the academy, it was different for me because I I was in a majority white environment and coming home was to a majority white environment. Right. So, you know, it was, it was a little different for me to, uh, to sort of, I guess, thrive or, 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 or get into a groove. Uh, I, I, I kind of struggled particularly in my academics at the Academy. What was hard about the adjustment? Well, I, I, I think what it is, I, and and I've explained this to others in the past. I think what it is is that you know, we we all have a particular baseline or or comfort zones or somewhere we can kind of find solace in. 
So growing up, I could always find solace at home or, or, or in my community or with other people like me or, or people who listen to the same music that I listen to, that sort of thing. But at the Academy, I never could really find that, find that solace. Right. Uh, you know, when, whenever there would be you know, down periods where we're not, where we're not being trained and they play music and have a good time. Like I didn't listen to that music and I wasn't having a good time. Right. I, I listened to different types of music. So yeah, I can never find that relax relaxation or solace in in the academy. But what where I did find it is on the football field. Right. And that's where I really created my lifelong relationships. Um that's really the only reason why I was able to graduate. Be frank, I was trying to leave every every year. I called my coaches in high school and asked them to call Wake Forest and call other schools and tell them I'm leaving. And it just never worked out. So <laughs> I ended up staying year after year after year, and I figured, I guess I'm a senior now, so I might as well graduate. <laughs> right. I do that place every year. Yeah, I think I was like that, man, my my sophomore year. I, I was I grew up in Texas, and I was thinking, you know what? I can go back to the honors business program at the University of Texas and yeah. don't have to deal with this foolishness. But once you start that third year, you got to go serve in the enlisted corps. <laughs> and then right. it's like, you better stay. <laughs> Right, right. And I sure enough wasn't trying to pay the bill back that they said it was going to cost. <laughs> I know that's the truth. I couldn't do it. And, and, and that's actually what got it, my decision making. You know, I, I couldn't pay for college out of high school. My parent, my mom couldn't pay for pay for college. So I got a, I got a you know, scholarship offer. And that was really the only way uh, I could go. In fact, a quick a quick funny story is that you know, I was recruited by uh, Brown and Columbia mm. and and they came to the school and they gave me real good presentations and it sounded very attractive because I wanted to go to a good school. And when they showed me the package that I would get potentially, because they didn't offer athletic scholarships, it showed that you know I can go to the school for four years, play football, get a great education. And I'll leave with a, with a, a debt of about $10,000, yeah. only $10,000. And right. at that time, that was a lot of money. That scared me. I'm, I'm thinking $10,000. I, right. I can't get I can't go to a school where I'm 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 leaving with a debt load of ten grand, so I I, I didn't even you know consider it. I I had to go to a place where there was no no cost. You know I'm I'm, I'm thinking like a eighteen year old at the time, and um, I, I I chose not to go to an Ivy because I was going to have debt. Well, it turned out well for you though. I mean, your academy experience you, you struggled a little bit academically, but um but you graduated and made it through. And then you went out of there into the Air Force. Before we go there, do you have any stories like from your football career of uh, at the academy of when you had uh, good friendships, like you said, that put you through? What's one good story you could tell that says if it wasn't for this kind of situation like this, I might not have might not have made it through? Well, I, I think it was more so. I, I don't know. I don't think it was a particular incident or story. But I think it was just more so, so that camaraderie on the football field and, and really not even across the classes, you know, because uh, we didn't really interact with higher classes or lower classes. You know, my, my freshman year, we, we hung out with freshmen, as you know. Yeah. And, and the freshman football players, I could relate to them. I mean, I, I knew about their stories, the black and the white uh, uh, students, uh, players. And we would, you know, we would hang out in the locker room. <laughs> we'd hang out in the locker room to avoid going up to going up to the hill. And, you know, we just exchange our stories, uh, talk about how bad things are, talk about how, you know, how we're going to, you know, do well in football. And it's, at some point we're going to take over the team and, 
you know, you know, talking trash. I mean, it's, it's just football talk. It's locker room talk, so to speak. And that, again, that gave me, uh, 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 it energized me. It gave, right. it gave me uh, uh, a platform or, or, or a baseline to come to, to where I felt like it, it wasn't quite as bad. Right. Since I have friends here too, even though I didn't want to leave, but it, it just, it just sort of, it gave me extra strength to, 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 to finish that place. Now, I couldn't run as fast as you, and I could not jump as high, so I had to be a manager my freshman year. You know, <laughs> if you can't play, manage. So I hung out in them same locker rooms on the basketball team, and I avoided that same stuff, all the training and the crazy stuff we go through as cadets. So, no, I understand. I, I would have been right there with you a couple of years later. Um, but, yeah, you so you got through, played sports. And now you said – I hear you say the the some pro teams. Did you try out for the NFL? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I've always wanted to play pro football ever since I was a little kid. You know, right. I, I was eight, eight years old. And I played in the Super Bowl in Macon, Georgia. They called it the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, I've always wanted to, 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 to play in my own Super Bowl as, as, as an adult. And I've always been a decent player. And at the academy, I, I, you know, I started my sophomore year through my senior year. Hmm. And uh, as, as, a, as a defensive back. Yeah, I remember. I, I had some pretty decent seasons and, you know, I played against some pretty good receivers. Uh, I didn't mind making tackles. So I was a, I was a corner and a free safety that didn't mind, um, you know, bringing the wood. So I think teams like that, they appreciated that. I had, a, I had you know, a few interceptions here or there and I talked a little trash. So I was in the papers from time to time. <laughs> so, so, so I, I think they sort of got my name out a little bit and you know, the Academy had a pro day Worked out for a few schools, uh, I mean, for a few teams, excuse me, uh, the Jets, the Panthers, the Patriots, I believe. And, uh, oh, yeah, and, yeah, I, I, I was all conference my senior year, second team all conference. And, I, I, you know, all of that helped. And I worked out for a few teams. I think I did okay. Um, and it's kind of weird, though. I, I didn't go straight to camp. Okay. I went into the Air Force for two years after graduation, right? And and I didn't get drafted. And I stayed in touch with a few teams, and teams knew me from my previous career. And two years after graduation, I got invited to camp uh, by the Jets. That was a learning experience because I didn't make the team. Yeah, and I was I was I was distraught. And the reason why I didn't make the team was because I wasn't ready. Hmm. Um, I didn't work out hard enough during those times, and you know my. My Air Force career was primary, so I would try to find time during lunch or before work or after work to to, to keep my training up. And I think after two years, I just got a little rusty. And even though I, I, I did get invited to minicamp, um, I guess my, my performance wasn't quite impressive enough to, to get to get offered a, a contract. So oftentimes out of the academies, if you get a chance to go pro, you have to serve a couple of years before you can go. So it was it was the two year point where I went to camp. Right. And uh, my 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 boss at the time told me that you know he said Kelvin I'll be a little lenient on you uh, as far as your focus on your primary job because I know what you're trying to do. But you know, after this period of time, I think it was like the the summer of '98. He said if if you don't have a contract by the summer summer of '98, you're gonna have to focus on on your primary job. So right. I, I, worked, I worked hard to try to make it. Um, didn't work out, but um, 
things thing th- you know things have a way of working itself out. Do you feel I, like I, you learned anything from that that experience? I, I learned a lot. It's just be prepared. I mean, yeah, you know, I was yeah, I was a Cub Scout and I wasn't a Boy Scout, but you know, we learn, we hear about that all your life, but sometimes you don't live up to it. And at that point, I did not live up to being prepared. And it, and it taught me a lesson. You know, it, it taught me that you can really do what you want to do, but it doesn't mean you're going to achieve success. You got to be prepared to tackle that opportunity once it comes. I think you can make opportunities, but being prepared for it allows you to to thrive in those opportunities. And that's what it showed me. Yeah, I can make opportunities. I can have good ideas. But if you're not prepared to work for it, it may not pan out in the way you expect. Now you, so you then from that uh, lesson that you learned, you obviously went back into the Air Force to finish out your time. Um, what career field were you in? I was in contracting. It's uh, it's essentially procurement for the for the federal government. So okay. I was sort of like a purchasing manager. It was called a contracting officer, where I I learned a lot of uh, legalities about contracts, contract law, and such, and I learned a little bit about buying and purchasing and. And it's funny, those those skills are or just invaluable to my overall career. And I want to say I plan for it because at the academy, when we uh, I can't remember what the, what the name of the process is, it's, you, you may recall, but we select. You, we, there's a period of time where we, where we select our, our our preferred jobs in Air Force, our right. wish lists. And. Uh, Acquisitions, contracting, and finance were my top three uh, because I I knew I wanted to go into uh, into into business. I knew I had a business mind. I appreciated the idea of money because we didn't have much growing up. Um, my grandmother, my mom taught me how to stretch a dime or stretch a penny, whatever the phrase is, and um, you know make ends meet. My mind was really focused on finance, so. Okay. I was able to get my top three choice, which was contracting, and I was pretty excited. And I think I had a pretty good career in, in, in contracting. I got a few awards and such and recognitions and the, at, the, at my squadron level and my group level. I have a, a feeling there's a trend about you being humble about the things you've accomplished. Like you may have, have gotten a, a, a great award where you were managing over $50 million. You were just <laughs> working. You were managing $50 million contracts as a young person right out of college. Um, and, and whenever the, the units are considered, we're talking about hundreds of people, you got this award over at your same level. So it's not a little award. It's like you accomplished something very well. Um, but, but I I can see you like to, to stay humble with it, at least, at least for right now. Um, (laughs) we're not on the football field, I guess. Right. I was going to say, yeah, I I don't think I'm the most humble guy on the football field. You know, people who know me know I talk a lot of trash, but, but people who know me also know that. I can keep things in perspective. I, I, I do understand that uh, life has a lot of challenges and, 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 you know, you don't get, you don't always get what you want. You don't always get what you deserve, but you, but, but, but you typically get what you work for. Right. So, right. so yeah, I, I guess that can be interpreted as somewhat of an humble perspective. So you, you spent some time in the air force, but didn't stay in long. Um, you, you spent five years in and moved off into the corporate world. What made you want to get out of the air force and, and instead of spending a longer career and instead go out into the corporate world? I didn't really know much about the military. I didn't, I didn't grow up in a military household. We were not exposed to, to the military. In fact, I thought a sergeant was really the highest, you can, highest rank you can be because my aunt was made sergeant one time when I was a kid. And, and, you know, we, we celebrated that like, you know, she made general. But, 
But I, I didn't really know much about it. Obviously, as I got older and, and studying in high school and such, I, I learned a lot more about the military. But I'm, I, I just didn't come from a military background. So I never planned on making the military my career, uh, even though I did sign with the Citadel out of high school. Right. I wanted to go into business. And I'm so thankful now that the military was a part of my life. And I'm a real patriot. And I even fly a flag outside of my, my house. So I'm very thankful for that opportunity to serve. It's just I never plan on becoming a general or a career officer. I wanted to go to corporate America. I wanted to, I wanted to swim with the sharks. I wanted to see how it was out here in the rat race. And that was my that was my my, my drive. So you worked at Siemens right out of the military. What um, what did you do there? Uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Sometimes life works out even though you don't really plan it. And I consider myself a planner, but. At the academy, I chose a job that would transition well into corporate America. I thought that was probably a good move on my part, right. looking back, because contracting has a lot of skills that 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 relays well to the um, the corporate uh, the, the corporate sector. So, like I mentioned earlier, contracting is like procurement in in in, in the government. So, my first job out of the Air Force was a purchasing job. I was a purchasing agent for for Siemens. Um, right. I had a son in Atlanta at the time and I wanted to get back to Atlanta. So I went to a one of those uh, those junior military officer conferences. Right. Um, ended up uh, getting an opportunity to interview with Siemens. They they liked what I was saying, I guess. And uh, that was my first job. I was I was a purchasing agent for, for, for Siemens Energy and Automation in Alpharetta, Georgia, right outside of Atlanta. So I got a chance to. Come back home, hang out with my son, help raise him and get a job that really transitioned well out of the military. What is the like, what are some key skills? So you said you gained these abilities. What are some key skills and abilities you need to be a successful contracting officer and then do procurement like you did for Mm -hmm. Siemens? Well, I I think first is understanding the overall goal of whatever you're buying for. Like in in Air Force, I I bought things from from uh, the the towels that you wax Air Force One with, to MRI services, to construction services, and that was my last my last role in Air Force was buying uh, construction services. Hmm. So construction really t- well buying construction services really taught me how to you know that you need to look at the overall need. What's the purpose of this procurement? Uh, and 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 and. You know, understanding that whole—I don't want to use the term supply chain because it's really more uh, the the requirements of the procurement. It'll help you become a better purchasing person. Obviously, I took a lot of contract law courses, so I came to Siemens knowing a little bit about federal law, uh, which is a lot different than than, than commercial law. Right. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot more restrictions on on, on us in, in in federal law. Uh, so, but it, but having that understanding of what is this procurement for, uh, that that helped me at Siemens. I, you know, I started out buying energy. Uh, I mean, actually, I I bought natural gas and electricity and that sort of thing. I was involved with Texas deregulation. Um, and how does those- how does this? So, what I want to think through is: so, imagine you're Kelvin at ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, or even fifteen, seventeen, eighteen. And you're thinking down the line that there's something that I like doing and it translates somehow to what you did at Siemens. 
like what kind of person would want to be involved in the job that you're doing that you did at Siemens and, and purchasing? Kelvin, growing up, I, I I wanted to be a football player and I wanted to be do something in science. And, you know, I, I had a, a wide um, uh, interest level. I, I like I like a lot of different things. I, I say I, I'm not an expert at anything, but I can talk about pretty much any, 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 any topic. So in purchasing, I know it, uh, in the Air Force, you never know what kind of requirements come across your desk. You just have to be, be able to adjust and and, and proceed with your with your buy. At Siemens, uh, you know, I, 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 I bought natural gas, I bought electricity, I bought um, commodities, uh, indirect materials. So it's, it's just a wide range of things. So I think if you have a, a broad uh, uh, perspective of, of, of interests, I think that in and of, of itself will, will, will help. And uh, people skills, I guess that's one. That's that is a strength of mine. Yeah. And when, you, and when you're negotiating, when you're uh, you know trying to learn about new products, uh, you know that that interaction is is, is particularly key. In yeah. fact, I'm going to change the subject a little bit on you. Sure. Uh, while I was at Siemens, I used to get a lot of feedback on, well, Kelvin, you're pretty good at at you know the, your conversational approach. You're, you're pretty good at getting good you know, prices. You're pretty good with interacting with people. You, you'd be a good sales guy. Right. Right. And that was actually my next role. Okay. Yeah. You moved on to toll grade at, at sales. What, um, what was that like? Like what kind of sales were you doing there? I was traveling. It was something I'd never experienced before. I was, I was working from home. I had, a, I bought a little condo in Atlanta and I was working from home. The first time I ever had that sort of role and that was different. And my, my boss at the time, was um, it was an old head, old school, old head sales guy. Uh, I, I don't want to call his name out, but um, he, he taught me a lot. Uh, and I didn't want to learn a lot because he and I really, really didn't didn't mesh that well. What are what some of the things he taught you that were really valuable, you think? The number one thing was when you close a deal, you celebrate for a minute. But you better be thinking about what's next. Hmm. So when, when, whenever I brought up brought a, a, a deal to him or closed a deal, he didn't say, "Oh, great job, Kelvin." He said, "Oh, so what's next?" Hmm. And he used to take me. I mean, it kind of it kind of pissed me off, to be frank, uh, because I wanted to you know to show that hey, I'm I'm doing my job. But that wasn't his interest. He had a long view, and I've developed a long view, and he only cared about what's next. You know, anticipate is what he used to say is anticipate Kelvin, anticipate Kelvin. And, you know, I'm thinking I know how to anticipate. I, mean, I, I played defensive back. I was a corner. <laughs> I always anticipate. But, you know, those are different skills. You know, anticipating on the field is not necessarily anticipating, you know, mentally all the time in, in business. So he, he was basically pushing me. He, he I think in a weird way, he he knew there's a that there's a certain uh, uh, strength in me. And he was just trying to get it out. And I was fighting not to not to let it out. What do you so as a salesperson, you know, you hear growing up or people hear like, you know, my dad or my friend or my uncle or my dad, my friend's dad is in sales. When you say you're in sales, what does that mean? What were you selling and what did that job look like? OK, well, I'm glad you, you asked that because growing up, I didn't really understand what sales meant. I thought sales was a, you know, the guys that stand in front of a a car and say, hey, you know, hey, you want to buy this car. But sales is 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 
is a lot different and it gives you the overall view of the business. And um, you have to know your product. You have to you have to know what you're talking about. You have to have the soft skills. Um, you have to know business. Sales is is understanding business because that is the lifeblood of businesses is sales. My my first sales job, I was interacting with the engineering team. We actually manufactured products, so I was involved with the the manufacturing, and I was pretty good with understanding the customer needs. So I was able to relay the customer needs to our in-house folks and. I was able to make make a couple of good quarters. To me, it just taught me a little bit more about sales. It's 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 a it's a sophisticated, in my opinion, occupation. It's a, it's a real it's a real career. If you if if you ask me, whenever you say soft skills, what do you mean? What kind of soft skills are you talking about? Well, just just knowing when to follow up with people. You know, I mean, showing up at certain events and 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 knowing when to follow up. Uh, you know, badgering people but not badgering them. Right. Uh, de- developing trust, um, uh, being able to to follow through, uh, tell you know, doing what you say you're going to do. Though <laughs> that differentiates a good sales guy from a guy that does sales. You mean the the follow, doing what you say you're going to do? Yeah, that that's actually part of uh, my uh, my mission statement here in my company. We our tagline is is we do what we say we're going to do and. You know, maybe maybe it's just not sales. Maybe that separates people in any industry. But I, I found in my in my career that uh, when you when you can live up to that, you're going to typically excel beyond your your peer group. Do you remember seeing other salespeople who struggled because they couldn't do what they said they were going to do? <laughs> I've, I've seen salespeople struggle because they weren't organized. Yeah. And I've seen salespeople struggle because they didn't. They couldn't fulfill what they what they said they would be able to fulfill, mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't necessarily because it was their fault. It was because it, it, you know it was it was some other department or, or or some other reason. So they had a good reason for not being able to cater or deliver, but that's never good enough. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just what you say to the client. Yeah, yeah. So you you were at Tollgrade. You did a really good job there in terms of what type of product were you selling at that place. Uh, we, we were selling telecom equipment, so okay. we, the uh, you know the big bells and, or, and the baby bells and such. I, my 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 client was Bell South. Yeah. At the time, they're they're no longer Bell South, but at the time they were Bell South. So I I, I sold product to them. <laughs> What's interesting is you know I mentioned before that a good salesperson understands the the total requirement. Like I said, I learned that in the military as well. You want to understand the total the total requirement. What's the total need and why? Well, at toll grade, Bell South was my client and Bell South didn't buy anything unless they had a, a, a one year or less return on investment. So I had to really understand what their costs were, how they wanted to reduce their expenses. Their truck rolls is what they called them, um, you know, sending out trucks. They wanted to reduce it. So I, you know, I had to understand what what caused their truck rolls and how my product could reduce it. And I had to show them that, you know, yeah, spending this this amount of money will, 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 will generate a return for them in, you know, in less than a year. So do you remember like, um, do you remember a good sale where you thought, man, I, I, cause what I hear you saying is to be a good salesperson, you got to know Bell South does not want to send out trucks to go fix stuff. <laughs> and they want to make sure that whatever I sell them, 
it's going to work well for a period of time and, and pay them back. Um, but wh- whenever you did that and you, did you remember a story or a time whenever you, you understood what they wanted really well, you satisfied their need and, and the deal was because of that was easy to close. Um, yeah, I think, I, I, I think almost every quarter I was able to, to close large enough deals to exceed my, my plan. Um, I, I was above plan every every quarter that I and above I plan for. means. Oh yeah, you know, most salespeople have some sort of structure to where their their commission is based off of some sort of um, goal, some sort some sort of sales goal. So that's that's typically your plan, and and oftentimes there's there's structures of compensation that relate to what percentage above that goal. So if you if you exceed that goal by ten percent or or 20% or 50% or 100% or whatever, there's a, a compensation model that, that that matches that. So that's that's what it means by above plan. And whenever you were doing that, like uh, what I'm looking for is take me inside of the experience. W- what was a time when you had to go in and talk to a client and say, this is how it was, <laughs> this is what I need. And there's where, you know, that's where you, how you satisfy whatever their need was because you understand where they were, you understood where they're coming from. Um, if you can remember one uh, so that, to give people an insight into if I want to be in sales, um, mm-hmm. I don't even think people ever think about like I have these phones, someone needs to buy the phone equipment and someone's got to sell it to them. <laughs> so um, knowing that you did that, I think will let people see like, Hey, here's another Avenue that if I'm good at talking to people, if I'm good at making relationships, if I'm good at following up and following through and if I'm organized, here's a place where I could have a career and do really well making making some money and, and making a career for myself. So do you if you don't have any stories that there that's good, but um but I'm wondering if you could think of any. I have lots of stories outside of Toll Grade because okay. after after Toll Grade I, I, I worked for a construction company and I think it's a little weird to say that I sold for a construction company, but I did do sales for a construction company. I I did business development and and and, and you talking about having to understand the owner requirements uh, in construction, you have to you know, basically be able to think like the owner. Yeah. And and luckily, I, I, in my previous career in the Air Force, I was the owner because I, I was the person buying construction services for a couple of years. So right. that, gave, that definitely gave me a leg up. But I could speak and talk the talk that agencies spoke and talk. And it created a sense of trust in me. And, it, and that allowed me to influence them to utilize our services or, or, or purchase our services. And I, you know, I, I did business development for a construction firm for about four years. And uh, it, it was in Texas, really. In Texas, their, their, their procurement law was going through a, a, a change or uh, a modification to where they could utilize, you know, different type of contracts. I don't, I don't want to get into yeah. the details, but they they could use these contracts that the company that I was with specialized in. So my job was to get more agencies in Texas to utilize this 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 contractual structure, which I was familiar with in the Air Force, which would give my company an opportunity to my company at, at the time an opportunity to win more construction contracts. So being able to sit down with a with a city of you know uh, city of San Antonio or a, uh, a a community college in Texas or even the university in Texas, being able to sit down with them and not just talk to them, but, but listen and talk with them and, 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 and be able to speak intelligently about their struggles and their needs and their, 
their you know their their construction i mean their procurement constraints uh i think that really separated me from any other uh typical you know guy or business development person coming in and trying to trying to sell their construction services because i i knew the process and i think it goes back to what i mentioned earlier and that is a good sales guy understands the requirements they, right. they know what's going on they can they can think and talk like the client what was one of the stories that you uh you mentioned that you have plenty of stories. What's one time that you went into a place and did something? The city of San Antonio, and they 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 had more dollars than they could spend, hmm. and they needed a way to, to to spend those dollars in an efficient manner. And they didn't they 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 didn't have that structure. So I <laughs> I had to. Uh, I mean, and, and this is not a a simple sale. This is a complex sale. These these are sales cycles of six months to a year and a half sales cycles. So. Wow. Um, I, I, I basically had to get their procurement department to change their, their, their procedures to, uh, to allow for an expedited, uh, expedited contracting vehicle. And that had to, to go through not just convincing the procurement folks, but to get, uh, city council approval. Um, and so I, I had to get the facilities folks to buy in. I had to explain and convince the, the, the purchasing folks um, I had to do a, a, a ROI. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I had to do a ROI exercise for them, a return of investment exercise for them to show that it was more cost effective to, to, to adjust their procurement procedures this way than the previous way and how they will actually make money or save money by just modifying the procurement procedures this way. So they, 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 they bought into that. I mean, it was a spreadsheet. I love spreadsheets. So I had to put it. <laughs> they bought into that. And then they were able to get uh, the city council to buy into it, and they and they approved an adjustment on their of their uh, procurement uh, uh, procedures, and we were able to get work. Wow! So you you basically had to tell the city how to change the way they did business and revamp their whole you know government buying process in order to then have them buy what you needed in an efficient way. Yes. To serve them and spend all that yes. money they didn't know how to spend. Yes. Yeah. I, I did that all through, I did it all throughout Texas. It's funny. Now, Texas, they utilize this term construction contracts uh, all throughout the state. The the ones that you did um, at that time back when you were over there before? Just the process. Just the process. The uh, term construction process uh, where not just buying an actual building, but you put a contract in place where you can buy multiple uh, okay. Okay. Under this term contract, and the term contract is year over year over year. Something the Air, Force, the Air Force has been doing it for years, but it was it was it was not u- utilized in Texas. Wow! So, you, like, you don't only just change it for the city; you change it for kind of the entire state. Yeah, I think University of Texas was the only school doing it. Huh? Um, the city of Houston and the University of Texas, but now uh, every university, almost every university, uses it, and several cities and counties use it. I'm guessing that's part of what made you manager of the year while you were at the Centennial Construction <laughs> Company. Uh, actually, no. Uh, that 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 gave me more responsibility. Instead of you know focusing on Texas, they wanted me to grow to Midwest, and then they asked me to come to the Southeast because the Southeast was a market that they wanted to try to penetrate and okay. grow. And I said, sure, I'll come to Southeast. And so we moved. I was married at the time, so we moved to Georgia. And I was basically working from scratch again, trying to get uh, more state agencies to utilize this type of contract vehicle. And about a year into it, 
that there was a big shakeup in the company and the CEO asked me to take over take over the operations in Georgia. And I told him, I was like, you sure? Because I don't know anything about running a construction company. I, I've never, I, I can talk to you about purchasing construction services, but as far as running construction, I've never done it in my whole life. I mean, I, I, I don't even know how to use a drill. So, <laughs> so I may be the wrong person to, to, to do this, but, um, you know, the, the CEO at the time, he, I guess he just thought that I had certain skills that'll help. Right. And well, that, did you, that led into you taking over construction for the state of Georgia? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I ended up running the construction for Georgia and Florida and was lucky enough to turn the office around. It was a, it was a really big, uh, important learning experience for me because I had never gone into an organization where, it was uh, in shambles. Yeah, uh, we we actually contracted. Uh, I think they were doing a, a few million bucks, and we 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 went even lower. Um, I had to let people go. Hmm. Um, it was it was it was a new, it was an interesting experience. What was and, it, what was it like having to get rid of people? Oh, I mean, it's 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 never anything you look forward to doing, but you you have to do it. You you, you keep your eye on what the plan is. Uh, if, if, if the plan can only hold or, or, or keep four or five people and you have 10, then you can have to let go of six people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not personal. Uh, it's just part of the plan. Right. So yeah, it's not comfortable doing it, but you, you do what you have to do because if you don't, you're going to go away. Right. Then nobody will have a job. Then nobody will have a job. Well, you took that experience and then started your own company. Um, doing construction. So apparently you learned enough to build your own thing. <laughs> um, and, and so now you're the, the owner and operator of Osprey Management. Um, tell me about what made you want to start your own company and not just stay comfortable with Centennial. Um, I, I think what it was, a few things happened. I, I just, I've always wanted to do my own thing. Even when I was in Air Force, I, I tried to start a sports company. Hmm. Uh, and it, I just ran out of money. It didn't really work out. <laughs> I ran out of money, but it, but it, you know, it, you learn from every failure. I mean, right. I mean it, I'm okay. I'm okay, failing because you you learn from it. It teaches you so much. So yeah, I, my sports company didn't didn't really work out. I moved to Atlanta and worked with Siemens, and I tried to become a real estate mogul. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that didn't quite work out. I have a lot of stories about that, but um, it taught me a lot, though. You know, it taught me a lot about 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 managing money. Hmm. And at Centennial, uh, I, I think I just had good—I I had good people around me, training and teaching me, and it gave me confidence that I could actually run a business because the model was almost like a franchise model. Even though uh, we were, you know, all one company, I ran a particular region section and I had complete autonomy over that section. Now I had to return a certain, a certain, uh, profit to the home office and we knew what our, 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 our goals were. And year over year of, of doing that, I think it just gave me confidence that, man, you know, this, this makes sense to me. Yeah. I know, I know the owner side. I know the contractor side. Um, I understand some of the, the pitfalls, I, I understand some of the things that are critical and in, 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 in having a, a successful construction company because my office was a standalone office out here. And you know, if, if I screwed up, the office went away. Mm. 
So, so I think over the the three or four, what four four years, four or five years that I ran this office, man, I just just the lessons, oh gosh, complete. I mean, they were just invaluable on as to teaching you how to run a, run a company because right. that's what the model was. And the last year, I kind of got sideways with my boss. Uh, it seems like that, that, that's a running theme with me, I guess. Uh, I kind of got sideways with my boss. And some things happened that I thought should have gone differently. I mean, I, obviously I, I did well. Um, I I got, you know, manager of the year. Um, got a chance to travel to Germany with our parent company. Right. Uh, I was one of 50. I, I was one of 50 employees globally that was recognized uh, at this event in Germany. Out of uh, how so, many employees? About 70,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I was really, really fortunate to to get that recognition. So I, that gave me, I think that gave me confidence to, 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 to step out on my own. Uh, I think if, if, if none of that happened, I, I probably still would have been planning or, or thinking or just dragging my feet. What, but, um, what was it like? Tell me about the process of starting your own business. Like how did you start it out? What was your kind of your mindset? How did you build it from and stuff like that? Well, I was married at the time. And one thing that my wife did, that I, I'm thankful for to this day is that she, you know, she never doubted me. I mean, she was, she was concerned right? because <laughs> hey, I was, I was always the breadwinner. She said, you know, Hey, Hey, Hey dude, are you sure about this? And I said, yeah. And she, you know, we, we sat down and we ran through scenarios and we, we, we put together spreadsheets and I showed her, you know, I, I showed her how the company was going to grow uh, over 10 years. I had a 10 year plan before I even started this thing. Right. And, you know, I, I showed her what we needed to do to, to save. So, you know, I started saving a couple of years before I left. Uh, and, and construction capital is key. So you were, let me understand this right. You had planned this company to start a couple of years before you were, you got a centennial so you could save up and get prepared to go. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I, I started saving about two years before I, before I ended up leaving. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I was still performing too, Tiggy. So, you know, I, I still got the manager of the year. I understand. <laughs> but the thing is, some people think like, like, me, for example, when I think about right now, I'm I'm not working or other people who may be thinking about running their own business, they think I'm just going to pull the parachute and go for it. Um, and, and but companies realize that folks are going to have different career plans. So it's not like you're being nefarious. You're being wise to say, like, I know I'm going to start a business. Let me I have plenty of friends who saved up money before they started. So I want people to know that if they're going to start a business, like you say, capital is key. You need mm-hmm. money to start and run a business. A great idea is good, but you need runway of that money to actually operate the business while you're going and to eat and to pay your rent and to pay your mortgage and to pay for your kids and stuff like that. So that's it was a wise move you made. And you almost were like going to a, a, an investor talking with your wife. You know, she was an investor emotionally, maybe not financially, but you had to run your plan, show her a spreadsheet, tell her what you were going to do. So in certain ways, you're like any entrepreneur out there who's going to a VC or whatever else. I, I completely agree. And, you know, she's 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 a smart lady. And and, and it, it was even deeper than that. You know, even though I made more money, we knew that during the first few years, she would probably have to carry us. Right. So we were able to save up 100 grand. Right. It wasn't a tremendous, a tremendous amount of money, but it was a lot of money to to, to, to me at the time. Sure. And uh, she said, no, Kelvin, you can't use it all. Hmm. So I said, what do you mean? I said, we saved up this money for the business. He's like, yeah, but I'm not comfortable with it. So we, we use half of it. Okay. And, and, and the agreement was after so many years, I got to pay it back. Mm. So this was 
really like a VC. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> so uh, I was able to take out fifty thousand dollars and start it. And and you know, there, there's reasons for having these types of of of, of, of goals. So my, my my goal was to save up fifty thousand dollars, but that was because I needed to get a certain amount of bonding capacity so I can go after the kind of jobs I need to get in order to get the revenue I need to get in order to pay back. Uh, uh, not pay back, but pay into the company. So you said bonding capability. What do you mean by that? Well, in construction, uh, I mean, I can talk about this all day. I, I, you can probably tell I'm getting a little, little bit more excited now, but I, I love construction. So in, in, in construction, uh, especially when you deal with, with public agencies, I guess over the years they've been burned so much that they want you to put up like an additional insurance policy. A bond is not insurance, but it's, it's similar. But basically it's, it's a, it's a, it's a guarantee. A third-party company guarantees to the end user that this project is going to be completed, right? And and the contractors on that project are going to be paid. So, a third party looks at, looks at you or looks at me as a company and says, "Hey, in order for me to guarantee your work, I need to have I need to see money from you, right? And so, 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 so it's kind of weird because." <laughs> In order to get money, you need money. But when you when you're small, you don't have money. Right. So that's why we had to save up at least a certain amount of money to get enough jobs to make it really worth your while. And that's why I wanted to save up a hundred grand, but I'm doing fifty thousand. But a bond is basically a a third party guarantee to the owner that the project will get done. Right. So, so like I, you won't run the business and not pay the subcontractors or buy the equipment and not be able to finish. That's right. And that was another negotiation at home, too, because my wife at the time, she was very uncomfortable with having to sign her her rights away to this bunny company because right. they can come after me, the wife, the house, the kids, the dog and everything. So we had to sign that away. Hmm. But you took the risk. Risks. Well, yeah, but it's calculated. So you, you got the bonding and then you, you were kind of off and running. What like tell me about the setup where you were, you know, where you started up, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, this is the fun part. So I started I started in my in an extra bedroom in my house and it was just me. So I, I left around April. Um, what year was that? 14, 13, April 13. Yeah, April 13, uh, April 2013. I, I, I left my I left Centennial, my previous my previous employer, and I went to my went to my bedroom. So that's where I work every day. And, you know, I, I had a plan. I'm a, like I said, I'm a, I'm a big planner. So I knew the, the different milestones I had to meet. I knew when I needed to get my first job. I knew when I needed to get my GC license. I knew when I needed to approach certain clients. Um, I knew how many subcontractors I need to get under contract because, you know, I, I don't want to get a job and then have to go look for subcontractors. Right. I need a subcontractor already on a contract. So what, I, tell me I, what that looked like. Let's spin it out then. So you, you knew you had to get how many jobs you had to get in the first, say, year or six months for it to be viable and how many subcontractors you need and stuff like that. Right. So I, my plan was, so it was, this was April. So my plan was, success, so success to me looked like this. It would have been getting $100,000 of work out of thin air. So if I could find $100,000 of work, I knew that that was a good first step to the next year. So over the um, whole first year or in the first six months or what? So between April, okay, that first, between April and the end of that year, I needed to get $100,000 of of contracts. Like I said, I did have some money saved up to live off of, but you know, that, that wasn't going to last forever. 
and I and my 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 ten year plan had me getting one hundred thousand dollars of of of, con- of contract right. revenue. So I knew I had to do that. And then I progressively grew, you know, from year to year. And then like the third year, I think I had hiring my first person. So it was a, it wasn't. How did you do in that April to the end of the time you period? What did you actually perform at? Uh, revenue was 500,000. So you hit your mark and then some <laughs> five times. How many subcontractors had you signed up by then? If you recall, I don't remember, maybe 30, but enough. So, but you needed how many to, to make it by then? Minimum? Oh, for that, I, I probably needed like three. Okay. So you had signed up at 30 as opposed to, so you really, you were killing the game at that point. Yeah. But I mean, it's not like I was making money though. That's so, just so, revenue. So let's remember? talk about that. That's you, not, that's not. That's not margin. That's not return. That's not profit. That's just revenue. And I think people don't. So what's good is you have the corporate side and the entrepreneurial side and folks who started on business need to think about, okay, here's how much cash I'm bringing in, Mm -hmm. but how much, how much profit basically were you making? So what was that number like out of 500,000? What were you making on that money? (laughs) If you want to share. I made $24,000. Money, 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 money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, I keep it up. so my margins were pretty thin. And what about how much? How much was your paycheck off of that twenty four thousand? I didn't. I didn't take a paycheck. Okay. I, I told you I had saved up some money. Right. So I was living off of that. Right. Okay. And so, then and then how to go from there? So remember though, I started. I started a company with fifty thousand dollars of I guess seed seed capital. Right. Um, and that first year I made twenty four thousand. So now I'm sitting at about seventy. You know, seventy four thousand dollars. Of, of cash in the bank, right? So you're going in the right direction, at least. Going in the right direction. My, and, my, and my goal for that next year, so I was going to go like, I think it was like 100000 and 500000 But one, since I hit 500000 I, 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 I adjusted my goal. I think I, I think it was 800000 is what my goal was for the second year. And I still wasn't going to hire anybody. Um, but I ended up doing uh, a million that second year. Wow. Um. And that actually gave me some capital to build out my next office, which was my basement. <laughs> you were moving on down. <laughs> <laughs> moving on down. <laughs> but um, off of that, I think I made 98000 off of that. But, so so uh, did you take a paycheck at that time? No, I did not. No, okay. Did. You just put it right back into the business. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, you remember, I, I, need, I need capital to get bonding. Right. And, and wh- so let's think about that. Bonding, what's important about a bigger bond like why would you need a bigger bond at that time because you because you know how much money you need to make margin wise off of revenue so well you kind of have idea how much money you want to try to bring in and you just kind of work backwards so if you want to bring in a couple hundred thousand dollars then you know what your margins typically are to be competitive so you have to back into what your margins are then back into what revenue is so you got to have that much revenue in order to get the margins in order to make the money so I knew that I had to have a certain bonding capacity in order to get the revenue, in order to get the margins, in order to make the money. So, and one step in between that, if I'm if I'm not mistaken here, is the bonding capacity allows you to bid for bigger jobs. Yes, yeah. So I, I may have missed that. Yeah, that's it okay. To bid for bigger jobs or more jobs. Remember, uh, you don't. You know, if if I have a, a million dollar bonding capacity or five million dollar bonding capacity, I can get one job that's a million dollars, or I can get you know. Five jobs is two hundred thousand dollars. Which so, would you prefer, or do you? Five jobs. I'm glad you asked that because I don't go after big work. Like my largest project even to date is one point eight million. Okay. I want to do. I want to do a lot of three hundred to five hundred thousand dollars jobs because that was the model that I learned from. So, um, my my previous company, Centennial, they were a three hundred million dollar company owned by a 
twelve billion dollar company. Wow. They were a three hundred million dollar company, but their average project was like five hundred thousand dollars. Huh. So Why? they just learned they learned how to uh, execute multiple smaller jobs. Yeah. And they're very procedural oriented. So okay. one thing that they pressed in me and I pressed in my people is process and procedures. Pro- mm. If you if you follow the processes and procedures, you won't I don't, I don't like, want to say you won't fail, but you it's hard to mess it up. It's, it's hard to mess up. Yeah. And and, 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 and construction is extremely risky. Uh, the, 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 there's there's high highs and low lows in construction. You can knock a home run or you can you can strike out and lose your lose your house and your and, and your shirt off your back. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm not I'm not that tolerant of risk. Hmm. So I'd rather stay in the middle. I'd rather hit a bunch of singles and hitting a bunch of singles in construction is a few hundred thousand dollar projects here or there, a few hundred thousand dollars projects here or there. And you just, you know, as you, as you grow, you can, you can absorb a little bit more risk. Right. So it's, that's, that's really smart. I think what I was thinking about is, have you heard of a book called the E-Myth? I'm sure you've read that or heard about it. Yeah. 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 I haven't read it though. So the E-Myth for those who don't know, is just a book about entrepreneurship and it's basically, you can be just because you can bake a cake doesn't mean you can be a baker you know, and open a bakery, but you need to know, you know how to know how to run the process. And you just like, that's why McDonald's is successful. They don't make the best burgers, but they do it very efficiently. And like you are saying the same kind of thing. I I used to work in commercial construction for Clark construction and and, and the project we did for a middle school was like, I think it was like $84 million for a middle school we built, but you Mm -hmm. stay away from that for them. They might try to get a $400 million hotel and they might get a $300 million stadium and, and this and that. But I remember I was doing it in 2009. So they were losing job after job after job. And when you lose a 300 million at a time, you got to yeah. get rid of a lot of people. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I don't have an appetite. Thank you. And that's where you're saying the highs and lows come in because you take that, you lose a $300,000 job. You could still make that work with a couple of other ones. And it's maybe easy enough to find another one as opposed to taking on a bunch of risk is what it sounds like. Exactly. Or if you bust the budget on a 300, I mean, if, 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 if the job costs you more than you get paid for you know, on a three hundred thousand dollar job, you can absorb that, poss- you know, potentially or easier than if, if it's a three hundred million dollar job. In your right. Budget, but you're right. going away. You're going right. to go away. And and I learned that model from my previous company, and, and and it's been working because we we've grown steadily ever since. So you were at year two. You guys, you as an eight hundred thousand dollar plan, you brought in a million. And yep. then what about year three? Year three, uh, that was a good year because that's my first, the first year hiring someone. Okay. And you know it was. <laughs> You know, I talk about risk aversion. I was very nervous, but I mean, I, I knew I had to hire someone. It, right. was, uh, it was part of the plan. And uh, we, 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 I hired, I hired him from my old company. I, I knew I was going to hire him because he was a young guy. He was as hungry as I was and very aggressive. And that's, that's what, that's what I needed. Hmm. And I brought him on around August and we ended up doing, I already had working, working the plan, uh, working backlog. But we did two point three million dollars that year, mm. and we had margins of about with eleven, eleven point two something like that. It's around, okay. around eleven percent. So you and, made and about two hundred grand on that, two hundred fifty grand or so on that. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Um, I took a little bit of that. So I you finally to- took a paycheck in year three. <laughs> yeah, but it was very small. It was like three thousand dollars a month for the last six months of the year. So it, okay. it wasn't that much. But you, but, so, but you were you were saved up and you were conservative, so you could make it to those first three years. 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And this and, is after you paid all your contractors, after you paid your oh, employee, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about net. Yeah. So this is what basically rolled over rolled over in the company. That That's what the company made. Yeah. So now you can add that to the previous year, which, which was about 98. Add that to the previous year, which was about uh, 24. So you know, now the company is, is is fairly well capitalized. I think we were around three fifty or something like that, thousand dollars. Meaning now I can get bonding. I think my bonding capacity was around three million at the time. Yeah, uh, four million. So I can go after a different type of contract and different different size contract. Okay, and so and what now we're in two thousand sixteen, two thousand and two thousand sixteen. So you're coming into like this year now, right? Two thousand sixteen was. The year where I hired a few more people, okay, uh, we, we did four million that year. Nice, yeah. Um, and you know, things are rocking and rolling. We want to, we want a term contract. You know, if you recall from the earlier part of the conversation, these term contracts are what I used to work on in the Air Force. Okay, which is what I used to sell in Texas in the Southeast, and we finally won one for ourselves. Mm, so that means you have now kind of a recurring revenue type of contract right exactly exactly very nice so now it's <laughs> so, like you you who who is it with if you can talk about it and what kind of okay, like exactly. what does that it's what does that mean in terms of what does the term look like five year, we want a five-year state contract here in georgia um and i also do work for the federal government with the va mostly yep so you know i mean and all this was planned out i wanted to do term contracts Eventually, I knew I was going to have to do hard bid, standalone bidding work for the first few years to, to build up a couple things. I, I need to build up my reputation. I had to build up a portfolio so I can go after the term contracts because instead of just bidding, term contracts require you to submit a proposal. Right. A proposal is a you know a thick document that shows you know past performance, references, how your company is structured. I, mean, I didn't have any of that. So right. first couple of years, I had to just bid on jobs, you know, I, and, and I would just win them. Um, I, I, I knew what my win ratio was. Cause I, you know, I told you, I, I like, I like spreadsheets. I like, uh, you know, analysis and stuff like that and projections. So I kind of had an idea of how many jobs I need to go after and what my win, my capture rate was. So if I wanted to capture you know, five jobs this year and my rate was, it was 50%, you know, I would go after 10 projects. Right. That, my rate was actually 20 some odd percent, but, um, so that's how I planned the first few years. So luckily I was able to get a couple of jobs under my belt and was able to show that I could, I could handle a, a multi-year contract and we ended up winning a multi-year contract and mm. it's, it's, it's been growing. Uh, like I said, I think we did 4 million last year and, and, and we're going to do seven this year and 12 next year. And, and, and on, I'm guessing the margins are getting better too. Uh, the margins are are good. Uh, they're 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 still around eleven. Uh, my net. Remember, as as you grow, as you grow a business, you've got to keep putting money into the business. Right. So, so for what we, though? So, what are you putting money into it for? You got one employee. What are the kinds of you, things you're spending money on now that you're on year four, five, six? Right, right. So yeah, uh, a couple years ago, I had my first employee. Then the, last year, I hired two more. Wait, one quick question about the employee. Did he work in your basement with you or did y'all finally get an office? <laughs> Cause, that's, cause a good, I, that's a good question. No, no he actually, it, he, he, had a, he had a place that he could work. He, he actually worked in the basement of a relative's house okay. that's, uh, about 20 minutes away from here. So we, 
so we so we had two basement workers okay uh, for, for for a year and and we had to utilize technology uh a lot of our files are are on uh on the cloud so right. we access all that stuff real time and update things real time uh when we also have a, a do you use like google I, documents no, no. We actually use uh, a, a paid version of Dropbox. Okay, I got it. And we use a a version a a contractor's version of QuickBooks as a financial management platform, and, and it works really really well because it's on an enterprise server. So my project manager can dial into it, and they can update their projects, all the, all the financials of, the, of their projects, all the billings, and so you know everyone has their own dial in. So I can run real time reports of where we are for for profitability. I can run a profitability report you know, at any point during a project. I can mm-hmm. I can roll up my projects. I can break it out hard bid to to term contract. So it it, it gives me really good uh, a really good view into into the uh, detailed operations of the company and and that's how we are structured and that's how we're going to continue to be structured. Uh, I'm sure at some point I'm going to have to adjust things, but that's allowed us to 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 grow into where we can bring on new employees. Uh, this year we implemented. A a uh, a four hundred one k plan and a health care plan. Okay, and what are you using main, to do that? What what company are you using to put that together? Uh, I I just went with ADP. Uh, okay, it's not necessarily the most cost effective, but they are very professional and they have a large footprint. And as a small company, the way I look at it is, I have other things to worry about than 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 you know developing certain things that's already developed. And I right. I think I learned that from my first two ventures that failed because. My, my first company was a sports company, and I tried to do everything in-house. I was trying to develop my website. I mean, I did everything myself and another guy, and I just ran out of money. Right. And now I'm just, I, just, I just approached it a little bit differently. I, I wanted to generate money first and then bring in needed, needed services, even though they may be a little bit more costly. Those services are in place. I don't have to worry about having to develop these services. I can worry about getting more revenue. I can worry about finding more subcontractors. I can worry about finding more work and worry about finding more employees. Hmm, you're not worried about the basic stuff. Yeah. Folks who are experts doing those other things. Right. 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 Yeah. That was, that was a lessons learned right there. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. If you can back it up, you said you um, work for your, by yourself for two years um, mm-hmm. and to, until you had an employee in your third year to run a business that's making over a million dollars a year, I, I would think that that takes a lot of logistics. Were you actually keeping your own books or did you have an accountant? Did you have, or yeah, well, were you actually doing your own everything? Like Operationally, uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I've always hired an accountant to help with the major moves, um, you know, year in, uh, all my, all my uh, financial reporting. Because yep. I knew that certain contracts require me to submit my financials certain types of contracts. So I, I, you know, you need to have that st- stuff done professionally. Um, my, my, my financial platform, QuickBooks, uh, you know, there's, there's QuickBooks experts out there and, you know, they can dial into your QuickBooks and clean your stuff up and, you know, help you with your 1099s in January. And I, so I pay for that service. So I, uh, yeah, I, I reach out to a lot of professionals for, 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 for assistance. Because what about administration though? Like did you, and, and the professionals I think is good. What about on the other side of running a business, like setting up appointments and people calling you and you know, all the administrative that you have to manage to, to especially if you do a bunch of small projects, I got to imagine there's a lot of getting billing together and, you know, relaying with subcontractors. Were you dealing with all of that stuff? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe that contributed to my divorce, but, um, but yeah, I, I did all that stuff and, and it took, it took a lot of time. Yeah. But when, when you leave your job and you jump into it, I mean, you have time, right? That's what you do. You work on your business and I work on my business from morning to night. And I, you know, I was putting together letterhead. I was putting together forms. You know, I'll, I did a lot of that stuff. Right. right. And, and you, 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 if you have free time, you know, you, you can probably be doing some work. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying burn yourself out, but I put myself in a, in a you know, sink or swim position because I, 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 I didn't want to fail. And you, another part that I'm hearing you say that I, I think people who are successful just kind of assume it. But you said, oh, I was lucky to get this and I was lucky to do that. But it sounded like you put a system in place and worked at it really hard. Yeah, I, I, I do. And maybe lucky is not the right term. I, 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 mean, I just look at it like I've had failures. I, I've, I've gone after, I mean, if, if, if I only get 20% of the jobs I, I, I go after, that means I'm losing 80%. So, right. you know, you, you have a lot of losses, but you, but, but you plan that loss. Like you, you work in contingency, you know, every single project that I do, every single one, every single one, I put in a buffer. It's called contingency. I put in a little extra money just in case something goes wrong. Right. And I, 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 I if you don't do that, you, you, if you don't think something's going to go wrong, I mean, you, you, you're lying to yourself and you're fooling yourself hmm. and, and, and you, and you've got a, you've got a plan for those little bit of you know, those, those hiccups. So yeah. I mean, yeah, I use terms like lucky or whatever, yeah, but but you plan for it because you don't you're not gonna always hit your mark, right? No, but, and you also said you learned from that what you said at the at the tryouts that you or at the camp <laughs> when you went to camp, you come in prepared, right? You better be because this is real life right here. This ain't this, this ain't um, playing a sport. This right. is this livelihood. And you now you're responsible for other people because you um, you said you hired more employees. What what's your head count up to? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have seven people now. Okay. Uh, I typically I can't continue this, but right now I'm I'm trying to do maybe like I, I use a, a, a rule of thumb, maybe like a, a million dollars of revenue per employee, even though every employee isn't a revenue generator. Right. It's just kind of a just kind of a guideline that 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 I've that I've that I've used in the past. Okay. And it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll be hiring more people, and uh, just just a plug for the industry. If anybody is interested in construction, it is a place to be. Why? We need, we need people. Um, we just don't have as okay. So over the last couple of decades, the, uh, the, the the attractiveness, the attractive industries have been, you know, IT or medical, that sort of thing. That's that's where people want to go. People don't, people don't, don't run around and their kids say, "I want to be a construction worker." <laughs> and they used to be right, but not anymore. But as these other other industries grow, as our economy grows, we need more facilities. We, right. we we're doing more construction now than we ever have, I mean, right. and we don't have as many people. So so uh, it's a good industry to be in. What um what's attractive about it? What's fun about it? What, like why would someone like to do? What kind of person would like to do it? It's, it's interesting you say that because when I was in procurement, you know, I bought in the Air Force. I bought commodities, which are just you know, like products and such. I brought I bought services and I bought construction and construction was my most favorite item to procure because you saw it happen. Yeah. Like you, you can have an idea or some plans and you have a dollar to it and you bring some people in to do it. But it's still just people and stuff on paper. 
But at the end of that project, you have something that's complete, a structure, something that came out of the ground. You, you created something from nothing. Right. I mean, if, if, if that's not gratifying, I don't know what is. Right, right. Okay. And do you have to, because like I said, I work for Clark, man, and it seemed like the people who were in construction used to build houses with their bare hands with their dad when they were growing up. And, you know, and they just was out in the parking lot changing the oil during lunchtime. And, you know, and and I was just, I'm not that guy. I go to Jiffy Lube and I buy my house finished, you know. <laughs> I, I camp in my bedroom, you know what I'm saying? I don't do all that. So do you do you have to be that kind no, of a person no, to, to want to no. do it? No, like I said earlier, I, I didn't grow up in construction either. Uh, I just I just became fond of it over over the years. Um, my, my people know they know that I don't know a lot about the details of construction. And I'm honest with them. I, I've never tried to portray myself as knowing more than them because they can sniff it out. They, this is a different this is a different language. This is a different world. Um, I don't know all those details, but I know the business side. I know processes. I know leadership. Right. I know influence. I know encouragement. You know, I know how to live below my means and I do that with my company. I, I know I know those key items that don't necessarily uh, uh, fit in construction, but they fit in all industries. So, I mean, you don't have to know that to get into construction, but um, I mean, you you learn it. Yeah, no. And that's good. And I think one of the things that Clark did, I think partially because they were working on school projects and had to, was they either worked with companies who were minority owned um, or they had to have hiring fairs to hire minorities from the community. They were building these because the school where we were building the school that I worked on was in like the East, East LA, which is like an inner city part of LA. So are you doing any of that type of work to try to help reach back from that perspective? And, or are you taking advantage of your own self being a minority owned business? Let's hear from both sides. Right. I, I am a minority owned business. Um, for my state contract, which is my biggest contract, and and uh, work like that, I have not. I've just I've just competed like any other person would compete. Now for my federal work, um, I'm a I'm a vet. I'm a disabled vet. My neck is kind of messed up, so I've gotten some work through my service disabled veteran owned small business status. Right. Uh, I, I I've yet to use my minority status. Not that I have a problem with it. I just hadn't had a chance to use it. I, I've been able to make work happen a, a different route. You know, I, I, I hadn't need, I hadn't used it yet, but I am I am like certified with the city of Atlanta as a, as a uh, disadvantaged business enterprise. Um, and I hope to be able to utilize it. I just hadn't done it yet. You know, construction is really. I don't I don't know what I can and can't say on this podcast, but I'm going to say what I want to say. Say what you want to say. Say what you want to say. Um, I call I call construction the last bastion of white supremacy. I mean, I I, I do it kind of jokingly, but there's a little truth to it. It's, it's just not a lot of us in construction um, and it's a huge industry. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to get into it because we, it's not like there's you know, huge mines and huge forests that are owned by minorities. Those are the raw materials. It's not like there's a lot of huge manufacturing plants and processing plants that's going to turn those raw, raw materials into 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 goods. It's not a lot of the minority owned supply houses and suppliers across the country who 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 you actually go to to buy and and, and who provides those those materials. Right. There's not a lot of black uh, trade contractors that that are a significant size. So like trade like electrical, plumbing, yeah, yeah. all that. Plumbing, yeah. I mean, there are a few regionally, but it's not a lot of them, and there's not a lot of 
minority GCs. Uh, I mean, there's so one. General contractors are like big versions right. of you. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's just they just don't exist. I mean, like I said, there's one big one here and one mid-sized one here, but they just don't exist across the U.S. And I, 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 I can't really put my finger on why, hmm. but it's just. I've, I've hit some stumbling blocks trying to grow here myself, and I can see how it can discourage people because if you don't have relationships with suppliers or or um, or general contractors or subcontractors, you probably won't get preferred pricing. Hmm. If you don't get preferred pricing or at least competitive pricing, you're not going to win bids. So if you're always high on bids, you, you, you're going to go away. And I think, let me slow it down for somebody like, to, when you, you're going to build, let's say you're going to uh, renovate a park, you got to buy the simplest piece. You got to make a, a swing set. So to make that swing set, you got to buy maybe wood chips for the ground. You got to buy plastic, mm-hmm. you know, materials and stuff to build the swing set. You got to buy all the metal. You got to buy the concrete to pour in the ground. That stuff costs money. And what you're saying is, it's one guy can go to a con to a, a supplier and pay X amount of money for all those supplies. You pay 20% more because that's the prices you get from that same supplier. When you bid, you can't compete with this guy because you can't get the same pricing or you yeah, can't I'm, make any money. If that's the case, I'm saying that. And a lot of that has to do with relationships. Um, yeah. I know that I'm lenient on subcontractors that's been with me for, you know, for these five years or what have you. Right. I mean, I, I and, and they're leaning it on me. And I, I mean, I pay them quickly or if, if I hadn't been paid yet, I say, Hey, listen, I, I expect to check in the next 40 days or 30 days or two weeks. And they're like, okay, Kelvin, we, you know, we know you, we trust you. And that, that allows them to continue working. It allows me to make the client happy. It, it allows me to be a viable professional company right. as opposed to a subcontractor that I don't know or a supplier that I don't know. They're going to put terms on me. They're going to say, no, no, we're not going to work until I get my money. Now I look, you know, I look silly to the client. I can't, I can't complete the work. I'm having to maybe pay more out of my pocket or, you know, and which depletes my, my operational cash. It just makes, it makes the business a lot harder when you don't have the relationships. And, you know, we just generally, generationally, we just hadn't been in positions to, 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 to create those relationships. Do you think there's opportunity there? Like, I know you're saying there's work to be done, but is there opportunity to break in? And and are you position, positioning yourself to be one of those big contractors so you can kind of change that story a little bit at the forefront of changing that story? So yeah, sorry, I asked two questions. The first one is, is there opportunity yeah, there? There's definitely opportunity to, to, to get into this industry. Uh, at this point, you know, companies just need folks that's going to perform. Right. Like, if, you, if you have a skill set, I mean, I don't know if you're asking me as a as a as a as a trade guy or as a GC or what or just as a, as a, GC, as a GC or a trade person, either one, because there's opportunity in, in both areas. It sounds like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now there's opportunity. So I'm I have I, I have about a hundred uh, uh, subcontractors on, under contract right now, and I would say maybe ten of them are minority wow. companies. Um, but Atlanta has more minority companies, so I, I would I would think that those numbers are worse elsewhere in other parts of the country. And that's not because you don't want to hire them. No, it's just the availability or maybe it's just the exposure that I've had with them. Um, and, and again, the, the availability, uh, they're out here. I, I have some small guys that I work with 
Um, there's a small black uh, electrical company that that I work with. I'm, I'm feeding them work as work comes. I don't give them all my work, but um, I, I do give them some of my work. Right. And what about on the GC side? Are you trying to be like the next Clark Construction or 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 Taylor or any of those big companies? Well, well, I mean, I'm I'm I plan on growing. Uh, I, I think I'm going to be the next Osprey Management. Okay. All right. That's, that's real. <laughs> that's real. I don't know what size we're going to be yet, but. I have a 2020 plan. Well, I'll be 20 million in 2020 and we're going to keep growing from there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. Um, and, and so I wonder, uh, a couple of last questions. Um, I, one of the things I like to, to think about and talk about is, and you, you talked about it a bit, but how do you deal with, with bias in your, or any obstacles you've had to overcome in that way in your mm-hmm. professional life, particularly as you've been at Osprey? Well, well, my my opinion, bias is real, dude. I mean, like I said, I, I'm 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 43 and I've dabbled in a lot of different things, and I've experienced bias in all types of things, uh, like all types of of endeavors. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's real. What what uh, does that look like in the construction business? Is it is it well, kind of what you were just talking about, or is there anything else? Well, I I can give you lots of examples. I mean, I had a I've had three subcontractors three three separate years. You know, in my opinion, really try to take advantage of me. Uh, uh, one was in Nashville at a, at a VA hospital, a mechanical contractor. They had the relationships there. I mean, I was new and I, I, I contracted with them because they had the relationships there. But you know, he would he would he would try to undercut me in a couple of areas because he had relationships with the owner. Um, I undercut you how? He he talked to the owner about, you know, work additional work in his scope and um oh so he was taking away basically business for himself that you would have well, otherwise won well well and 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 he would he wouldn't I and mean, he knew that he was my main guy so his pricing to me would be um way out of line uh so my margins would be pretty pretty slim for his scope of work and um you know, that just put me in a bad situation. There yeah. was a, a scope reduction. Uh, he he didn't want to give me the credit on the job that was due. Uh, his relationship with the owner made it seem as if I was trying to take more from him than was necessary. Uh, so th- those types of situations occur. Um, I believe there was a, a bit of bias there. Hmm. Uh, and there's a situation in you know Augusta where Augusta, Georgia, where, you know, I didn't know the market there, but, you know, this, this, this contractor, you know, tried to take advantage of me because he knew that I'm not from that area, um, was trying to charge me way more than he should have to do work that he didn't have to do. Hmm. So, uh, and my contract, my contractual background, I think it saved me in a lot of areas. Right. Uh, my, my contracts are very tight. Uh, they're very pro my company and, you know, it, it protects, it protects, it protects me. And, you know, once I threw the contract in their face, you know, that extra work that they did, they want to charge me for was just on their own. Right. I didn't come to them to do the extra work, but you know, I mean, there, there's, there's so many little tricks in construction where, where you can be taken advantage of, um, you know, just not having the information that other contractors have. Like if, you know, if there's three GCs that's been on a job, and there's a, you know, we all want pricing from a subcontractor. 
you know, how do I know I have fair pricing from that subcontractor? I don't. Right. Uh, so I've got to get I've got to implement other procedures to to to, to circumvent that. So I I get multiple prices on every on, on every trade uh, just because that's just good practice. Right. Because you don't know who's trying to take advantage of you. Hmm. And if aside from making good procedures available, if you could change something like if you could wave a magic wand and change how things worked. What would you do to make, to make it easier for the next guy coming behind you that may not have as much experience and skill and contracts and training as you've had in the past? Change? I don't. I don't know. That's a tough question, Tiki. I, I think though that learning, learning the pitfalls. You know how can you be screwed, for lack of a better term? Um, that was something that I was taught for my previous company. They were very, very risk averse, and I think you have to be in this industry. So you have done, obviously, by the numbers you've given, you've done an amazing job with your business. But even the Atlanta Journal-Constitution um, has noted you as one of Atlanta's fastest, one, 100 fastest growing companies in 2016. So obviously, you know, it's not just you saying you're doing a good job. It's not just us hearing it, but it's being recognized um, there in the city. Um I wonder, how do you feel about that? And, and, and what does that mean for you in the future? No, no, it's cool. I mean, I, I appreciate it. I, I don't know. I mean, I think when you're small, I think your your growth rate is probably going to be a little bit more exaggerated or a little bit higher than if you were a huge company. You know, it's a lot harder than for a billion dollar company to go to two billion than a million dollar company to go to one million. So, I mean, I, I, I'm very proud of it. I think my, 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 my staff is happy, but I don't. I wouldn't put a whole lot of weight into it I mean, right now. I think, I think the continued growth is really what I'm most proud of. Let's just yeah. keep growing, yeah, and, and, yeah. and staying profitable, and being able to, you know, to help other people that look like me. How do you do? How are you doing that? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, seven people. Um, I guess my my staff is probably a little bit heavier, you know makeup of black folks from other from non-black folks. I, I, I do have one more white guy than black person, but I mean, it's close. It's about 40, 60, which yeah. is pretty unusual. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that's one way. Um, I'm, I'm still working on the subcontractor arena. I, I think my numbers are better than the general population. Right. Uh, and, you know, there, there's things I do at my high school. I, mean, I, I, I try to support my old high school from time to time. What's something you've done there? <laughs> um, you built the Kelvin King Memorial I, I, statue. I, 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 you know, you, know, <laughs> you got to shine it bright in front of the school. <laughs> you know, I've, helped, I've helped the cheerleader program okay. uh, the last couple of years. My, my old, the old football program, which, 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 which I came, you know, I, I, I came up through that. Right. They, they were still using the same lockers that, they were using when I played yeah. back in 1991 and they just got new lockers this year. And I, I was, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to help them, help them with that, uh, mm. donate some money to help them get the, get that new locker, get the new locker room. Very nice. Very nice, Kelvin. I like it. Um, I, I, I did notice one interesting fact that you, uh, there were only six people that got approved in the state of Georgia or registered in the state of Georgia to build the border wall. And you, you put your name into the hat for that. What was that about, man? Yeah, I, I'm going to put my hand, my name in the hat 
for anything that I think I can succeed in. And in, in this case, I mean, I know there's a lot of a lot of talk and and uh, consternation and discomfort, whatever you want to call it, across the country about this 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 border wall. And I, I think it's I think it's you know I think it's it's right rightfully so. I think any any, any major action that we take it, it needs to be talked and debated about. But at the end of the day, it sounds like it's going to happen. And if it's going to happen, I'd rather for Osprey to get a piece of that. I'm a businessman first. I'm a I'm a capitalist first. I'm gonna I'm gonna use as many opportunities that I can to succeed or create success for my company and my employees. And I would rather that opportunity go to me than to the next company. Why 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 you say that? Well, because opportunity is hard to come by. Yeah. Um business growth is hard to come by. Right. I'm never gonna go against my morals and 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 that is not against my morals. I think we should secure our borders. Mm-hmm. I think we should have walls up and fences up and surveillance up and and gates and you know I I think we should do that. So that fits right right square in my moral compass. So I, I didn't have a problem with it whatsoever. And I think um, this uh, this is the last thing, man. And then I'll I'll let you go, man. But I I I think what what's a challenge right now and hopefully we can resolve it going forward is that there's a diversity of thought and opinion among people of color um, that I don't think is talked about enough. Um, and, and, and it's not that we want to be against each other. I think that we should allow multiple opinions and points of view. And I think if some people, you know, knew some of my political opinions or maybe some of yours, they think, man, this, these guys can't support the very thing we're talking about on this show. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know what you think, man, but it's good to see that there, you can have diverse political opinions and philosophical and moral positions, but still be about trying to help what the heart of this show is, which is to help inspire people of color to succeed and then show them how to get there. You're doing it in real life. Yeah, um, it's interesting you bring that up because my my perspective is probably counter to ninety percent of of Black America. I'm, I'm a I'm a far right conservative kind of guy, and I haven't always been that way, but I think I, I think I grew into it, and I think it's a, a good tool as far as me and my perspective and my personality. It's it's a good tool for success and to create success in my community. Now, I'm I'm, I'm very close to my mom, and uh, she, she, you know, she, she rose, she wrote, she uh, raised me with certain principles and then she protected me from certain things. I mean, I, obviously racism is real in every state in the country, um, not just Georgia. And, but she, you know, she, she sort of insulated me from that a little bit, even though I, mean, I almost caused a racial war in my high school and, 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 and that sort of thing. So I, I know it's real, but I think conservative principles are really in line with uh, how I was raised, even though you know, I was raised on the Democratic side, but the principles, in my opinion, are in line with success and and align with opportunity for us. And I can I can I can really elaborate on. I don't know how much more time we have, but that that is my perspective. Now I I, I get called I get called names at times, but it, it's okay. You know we we get passionate and we don't want to always acknowledge the diversity of thought within our community. I mean I. I've seen us 
you know, say disparaging words to a lot of successful black folks because they didn't think necessarily the same way they, they, they thought. But I, I thought that the whole point was to uplift our community. Right. And, and continue to, to, to support and grow our community because, you know, America hasn't always been the most balanced or fair to us. And I acknowledge that. In fact, I think we're doing pretty damn good considering, you know, only 150 years or so ago we were, you know, we were enslaved. So I think the progress that we made considering that is is pretty is pretty incredible. And we and we're continuing to make that progress. And you don't make it just by complaining or or sitting on your on your lowers. You make it by getting out there and doing something. And 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 the system of America, I do believe in. And I want to try to work the system as best I can. Right. And I think this is a really cool system to allow you to improve yourself. Yeah. I know that we, don't, we don't always start in the same spot. I mean, regardless of what color you are, you're not going to start in the same spot. But you can you can improve where you are. And I don't think anybody's complaining about that. And in fact, I think we should embrace that more. And if you, I think if we embrace just the improvement portion, not necessarily the equality portion, because we're not going to always be equal where we end up. Or where we start. I think if, if if we if we embrace the improvement portion, I think we may make greater le- leaps, and we 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 may create a more cohesive community, and we may create a, a stronger America. Because I mean, this is my America. I, I've heard people talk about you know white America. Like, my people built this country, and my people died for this country, and my people died for me to be able to 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 vote however I want to vote. Right. And I'm going to I'm going to rock with it. I'm going to utilize it and I'm going to make my mom and my family and my community proud, regardless of how I what path I think I can take to get there. Yeah, no, I I love that, man. And I think um, I think it's it's that's hard for folks to hear sometimes. But I but what I what I am I love about just this conversation is if everybody took everything up to where we started talking about the wall, they might be high five on you. But if they only listen to part after that they might not want to listen hearing <laughs> both of them. My, my hope is that we could start to see, like we could come at this from different directions. We can have vigorous disagreements about, like you say, how we get there, what we think, but we can also still work together and not, you know, not have to be against each other just because we may feel a certain way from wherever we are thinking or philosophically that we come from. So I, I really hope people pull that out and then focus on what you said is focus on the improvement. We get that the problems are there. We get that the racism is real. We get that, you know, all those things really do exist. Um, but I agree, man, that that if we can focus on, and that's, again, what I want this show to do, hopefully, is show people that now here's another career field. Who knew that construction is a place that you can make good money, you can work really hard, you don't have to know about the business, and there's a tremendous opportunity out there and somebody who's who's on the inside trying to help make a way for other folks. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, it, it, I appreciate you sitting down with me. I I think there's one little story I can tell you about about the industry. I, I, I'll be quick with it, but um, you know, I, I have a lot of subcontractors. Most of them are white uh, subcontractors, and you know, down here we all, you know, white people have diversity of thought. So um, there's a guy that I had a decent relationship with, uh, who you know came over to pick up a check. I saw his, I, you know, I walked him out to his truck. I saw I saw his truck. He had a little sign on his truck on the back on the back window that said sons of the American Confederate, uh, sons of the Confederate what, veterans of America, something like that. sons of yeah. the Confederate or something like that. Yeah. So I said, like, hey, I said, Hey, Hey, uh, I'm not gonna call his name. I said, Hey, what's that sign all about back there? 
And, and I mean, he <laughs> he initially responded, you know, pretty uh, uh, defen- you know, defensively, I guess. And he said, uh, "Oh no, 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 you know, that's 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 just heritage. That's right. heritage." And I, you know, and, and he have every he has every right to do that. And I mean, go for it if you want. That's not not that's not my thing. But I did ask him about it, and and I said, "Oh, I said, uh, you say, yeah, I understand." I said, "But I'm, you know, I'm I'm really glad that." That you know they they lost, <laughs> and, 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 and he was like he was like oh no you're talking about slavery he's like no the war wasn't over slavery uh oh I'm thinking dude what are you talking about I, I, you know I'm, I'm I'm a student of the Civil War I mean I've been to Gettysburg I've read several books hey I went to a military academy what right. are you talking about I'm from Georgia <laughs> and and uh, he was like no it's about states rights I was like yeah but it's based on uh, 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 economic engine of of of, of free labor. And I'm, I'm certainly glad that it turned out the way it turned out. And, I, and then so we so we actually struck up a conversation about race relations yeah. and, you know, how it stemmed from you know, certain phases of, 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 of our history. And, um, you know, I, I just told him like this. I said, yeah, I, I had to mention it because you're in my driveway working on my job site. Would that stick in your truck? Mm. And I didn't tell him to take it off. I just said I wanted to make sure he knew what I thought about it. Mm. I didn't tell him to take it off. But yeah. that next week, I saw his truck at my job site and it was gone. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, we still have a good relationship. But I, I think a lot of progress can be made by by interaction. Mm. Um, a lot of progress can be made by being in a, being in a position of influence. Oh, yeah. Um, people, you know, we... We tend to listen to people that's gonna that, that's feeding you. Yeah. I mean, if, if I have the work, if I have the money, they're probably gonna listen to what I have to say. Right. So anyway, that's just no. Quick. That's it. I love that. That's a great story. Um, real quick, who have been? Uh, not even quick. Take your time, man. Who have been some of the more important mentors in your life in your career? Oh man. Oh, see, I think it's been a lot of people at different times. Like my, I, I would say the most influential is is my mother. Uh, I, I guess she's one of Cecilia old phrase. She's perfectly imperfect. Hmm. Uh, you know, she, she has a loving heart. People love her. And, um, she, she's a wise person. My grandmother has been wise as far as giving me advice on saving and, and living below your means. My mom, in, in terms of being compassionate, which I'm not the most compassionate person out there, <laughs> compassion. Um, I've, you know, my military, influencers, uh, my, my old boss in the military who was actually removed for duty. He taught me some things. He taught me what not to do. Right. Uh, uh, someone else's commander, you know, she gave me some advice one time saying, you know, Kelvin, you can't, you can't make promises that you can't control. So she was a finance director and I was in contracting and I promised my client that a project would be awarded by a certain time, but I didn't control the funding. So, you know, you can't make promises for on things that you don't control the process on. So I I didn't control finance. I couldn't make that promise. So, you know, she 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 taught me that lesson. Um, when I went to camp with the Jets, Bill Parcells, he was the coach at the time. Mm-hmm. He taught me a lesson. Uh, he he talked about what expectations are and how to set them early on. Uh, in 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 our first team meeting, he he didn't say, "Hey guys, you know." You joined the Jets. We're looking forward to it. Work hard. Blah blah blah. He didn't say that. The first thing he said was, "Hey guys, I saw a few you, a few of you in the hallway, and you look kind of heavy. Some of you over three hundred pounds." He's like, "You're gonna have to lose weight because this game is about speed, not size." He said, "He said, and if you're on drugs, we're gonna find out, and you're gonna be out of here." And he said, "If you got problems at home, 
You leave him at the gate. When you come here, you come to work. That's how he started the meeting out. Hmm. So he set expectations and he set a tone. And I, and I think even in the military, you probably understand this too, TQ. When you take over a new role, you want to take over a new role. You you take control of a new role, of a new role, and then you slowly relax right. as, as it goes in the direction that you expect it to. So I think I've had lots of, you know, I guess mentors over the over the years. Yeah. Uh, just mentors. Very good. What are three books you'd give as a gift? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I used to give this book as a gift. I don't know why I stopped, but uh, back when I was in the military, I used to give this book called The Wealthy Barber. Hmm. It's just, you know, The Wealthy Barber, Millionaire Next Door, The Wealthiest Man in Babylon. They, they all have the same thing. It's basically, you, know, you don't always know who has the wealth because typically the wealthy aren't wasting it or flaunting it. They're building it. So that was that. that's a book that I would really uh, recommend or give to, to folks because I have. Another book, and, I, and I've kind of alluded to this over the conversation, it's called The Trusted Advisor. Uh, the Trusted Advisor is a book about how to gain trust in a business environment, like, yeah. like, like, like consulting or that sort of thing, you know that you want you want clients that look at you as a advisor, not as a supplier. Hmm. So it talks about the trust equation, how to. Uh, I, I hope I can remember this. I think it says you, you want you want to build credibility, reliability, and a degree of intimacy, and all over like that's all over the denominator of self. Uh, what is it, like 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 self orientation or self importance. Mm-hmm. So if, if 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 you reduce your self importance and you increase your credibility, reliability, and intimacy, you'll 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 generate trust. Right. There's a book that I'm reading now that I like. I think um, I'm not. I'm, I'm only about I guess 10 percent through it, but it's to I'm, I'm I'm loving it so far. It's called Wealth, Poverty, and Politics by Thomas Sowell. He's a black mm. economist. Um, I've I read like six or seven of his books. Oh really. That's cool. That's cool. Well, this one right here, I'm looking forward to finishing it up. The next one you should read is called Black Rednecks and White Liberals. Okay, um, okay. It's about race and perspective and stuff like that. Put that one yeah. next on your list. It's a good one. And cats will probably be like, what are these cats talking about? <laughs> but um, it's a good one. It's, I, I read like, yeah, like six or seven of his books. All right, cool. cool. I, I just wrote it down. I'll take, I'll take a lot of notes. For if sure. Any kind of advice. Take notes. That's yes, something that, that, that I use to manage. I have to play tricks with myself because I can. I tend to get off topic. I, I probably ramble a little bit on this interview, but um, I write lists every day of what I want to try to get done for the day. Just like your daily to do list, mm-hmm. and I uh, I use that to kind of force me <laughs> force me to get stuff done. Um, because if I don't get it done, I have to rewrite that list. And right. so I write I write the stuff I don't get done, and, and you know at some point you get tired of rewriting the same thing. <laughs> That's nice. Um, what do you do for fun, man? Besides uh, build construction projects? Uh, yeah, I, I, I try to I try to have as much of that as I can. Um, I, I, I golf uh, every week. Uh, I can't golf every day, but I, I, I do golf on Saturdays with a group of academy grads. And I'm a member of a cigar club here in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I go to, to, to that place. I don't know if it's every week, but on Wednesdays, oftentimes I like I like good bourbon. So, you know, that's where I go to have a cigar and a good bourbon and wind down. Very nice. And if people want to find you online, uh, where should they go to find you? Um, 
I'm not a big social, uh, I mean, uh, you know, so, social media presence guy. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search my name, Kelvin King, and probably Atlanta or Osprey Management. My my company's website is uh, is contractosprey.com. That's C-O-N-T-R-A-C-T-O-S-P-R-E-Y.com, like the bird. Okay. Uh, my company is named after my favorite bird, which is an osprey. For some reason, I thought maybe you uh, uh, flew the ospreys. No, I just like animals. I mean, growing up, uh, hey, I've always liked animals. My mom, one, my, one of my favorite gifts at Christmas was a was a, a, a wildlife nature book. Very nice. So yeah, and, you know, we all have our weird interests, and <laughs> wildlife and animals is mine. It's all good, man. I appreciate it. Well, Kelvin, it's been an awesome conversation with you, and my guest today has been Kelvin King. Thank you, Tiki.